Before we uh, go into this morning's message from Daniel, uh, I felt compelled in the first service and uh, once again in this service to give read another portion of scripture that I think is just helpful for us in this particular time in the world. Um, it's always a little nutty out there. It's real nutty out there right now. It seems you can't um, wake up, turn the corner without hearing about another uh, mass tragedy or another storm in the physical. It's just, or trials, it's a lot out there. And I know personally many, many people within the church who are walking through trials and storms. And so I want to bring some encouragement from the scripture before I go into a much more sort of application-oriented message. Uh, I'm just going to read from a few uh, verses from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. So you can close your eyes, take this in. I'll read the scriptures. I might make a few comments and then I'll pray for us. <clears throat> Paul writes to the Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in 19, 13, I'm sorry. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I, I love the way that Paul points us to the consummation of all time. When Jesus comes again, the second coming, he brought the kingdom in the first coming. He, he consummates the kingdom in the second coming. And we're a part of that. But in the midst of it, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with the fact that no matter in life or death, we are always with the Lord. It's that reminder that God is with us no matter the circumstances and that he is king coming again to make all wrongs right. He goes on, 1 Thessalonians 5. <clears throat> but since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and, and for a helmet, the helmet of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that, listen to it again, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Same phrase, no matter what, we're with him. Jesus is with us. He's in the midst of the mess. When we're grieving with those who grieve, he's there. When we're rejoicing with those who rejoice, he's there. And sometimes today, as a believer in the world, I feel manic. I'm grieving, then I'm rejoicing, then I'm grieving, sometimes within the same day or the same hour or the same minute. And Jesus walked that path as we walk that path. And so he reminds us, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. And he ends with this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That is, set you apart. Show that you're different than the rest of the world that grieves, but without hope. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body, Paul sees every part of the human, spirit, soul, and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now this, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. God, we are thankful. We declare, whether we're in the grieving or the rejoicing, feeling the hope or the despair, walking in faith or wandering, Lord, we thank you that you are King of kings, Lord of lords. You know history from beginning to end. You're Alpha and Omega. And you are everything in between. And Lord, you who are faithful will do it. You, God, will keep our souls, our bodies, our spirits blameless in faith and integrity until the second coming. So God, grant us faith as we look to the scriptures and and courage today. To, to hang on to truth and to walk it out, to live it out for the sake of Jesus. Amen. What about an amen? Okay, that was all right, right? That was a freebie. Now I'm going to actually preach. Um, this is a message a little bit more on the practical and applicable, but uh, I feel like it's a message of challenge for me as well. So I want to We're in Daniel chapter 4. You can turn to Daniel chapter 4 if you want to, if you've got a device or a a book that has that in it. Um, And I'm going to be telling a bit of the story of Daniel chapter 4. It's about the the second dream of Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm I'm not going to uh, go through the whole dream. This is less about uh, an expositional message on Daniel as it is about uh, the way that we're called to live in a strange world like Daniel was called to live in a strange world. You ever been in one of those? I'm sure you have. We have all been in one of those situations where something happens. It might be in public. It might be in private, in the family, in your workplace. And something dramatic happens, can be good or bad. And you just don't know what to do. Do I say something to try to get out of this awkwardness? You know, you go into work and someone just blows up and you're like, oh, someone goes off the handle. Someone swears, you know, Oh, big deal, right? (laughs) I just heard you saying, yeah, whatever. And you don't know what to do. You think, do I speak up here as a believer? Do I stand for truth? Is this one of those times where I'm supposed to stand up? Or, you know, I don't want to make waves, you know, judge not lest you be judged, right? Do you know the feeling? And some of us, the extremes are easy, right? For some of us, the extreme, especially the more introverted, maybe the more sensitive, we're like, I don't want to make waves. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And we just sit back and we never speak up. And then there are the other ones. You know who you are. You you, you are. (laughs) There's a lot of this going on. You are the ready, fire, aim people, right? (laughs) You're the ones who say, that's wrong. I'm going to I'm the bringer of truth. It's it's. Sometimes it's godly and other times it's I'm looking for error so I can be the truth. Right. And it's easy to fall into one of those extremes when the reality is if you tend towards the speaking, you're more likely called by God at times when it's hard to be quiet. And when you tend towards the quiet, you are much more likely to be called by God to speak up. Right. I mean, it's just hard. It's it's easy to go to the extremes and harder to live in what we call at the vineyard, the radical middle. The quest for the radical middle, to speak the truth, but to do it with love, to be bold about it, but to come with humility. 
because uh, that's what Jesus showed. And that's what Daniel showed in Daniel end of chapter three and chapter four. Uh, Daniel's going through an up and down experience in his own work life. King Nebuchadnezzar is kind of going all over the place. At the end of uh, chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar had just seen Daniel's friends be delivered from the furnace of fire. He tossed them in. He was in a rage and he sees God save them. And in the midst of it, I think the scripture supports he has an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ. He sees a holy one, the fourth, as if the son of man. He sees Jesus because he saw God deliver his people. And so Nebuchadnezzar goes from rage to praise. And at the, at the beginning of uh, chapter 4, verse 3, he essentially writes a worship hymn. I mean, he's like, praise God, praise Daniel's God. He's amazing. And then he makes a decree, all right? He loves those things, all right? Nebuchadnezzar decrees like our president tweets. It's just like, here's another one. Here's another one, right? I, I, it's not, I'm just saying. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he's just, giving the, he's just giving it out, right? This is what I think, bamo, right? He makes a decree. And, um, and then he has another dream. And so we pick up in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and he goes down the same road that he went with the dream before. And so he pulls in the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers and says, I've got this dream. I think God, you know, it means something. What does it mean? And when you read the dream, you think this is not difficult to interpret. God is speaking here. And I think all these people know it. They just don't have the guts to say, yikes, bad news for the king in the kingdom right now. So he calls for Daniel. And the reason that Daniel gets in this awkward position to have to speak the truth with boldness, humility, and love is for this reason. I'll just read from Daniel 4:18. says, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, that's Daniel's Babylonian name, Tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. The reason Daniel finds himself in an awkward position, could be a life-threatening position, is because the Holy Spirit is within him. Why, as Christians, do we wonder why we sometimes get put in awkward positions? The fact is, the people around us are searching for truth. They're looking for God, whether they recognize their quest as a spiritual one or not. And we're going to be put in awkward situations because God is within us. You see, people want to see God. And the people who want to see God are willing to see him in us. And that means we've got to be willing to speak up sometimes. We've got to be willing to stand up and make a stand and say, all right, I'm one of those. I believe that there's another realm that you can't see. And so Daniel's put in this awkward spot because even Nebuchadnezzar, this wild king, going from rage to praise, says, I know the spirit of the Holy One is in you. And I, I want to encourage you this week, this season in the world, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, the spirit of the Holy One is in you and people are looking for the Holy One. They know you're not the Savior. But they know that you know him, and we've got to let that out. 
We've got to be willing. God's going to give us those opportunities to be the mouthpiece for God. And so he, uh, Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel the dream, and uh, Daniel realizes this isn't looking good. Let's pick up Daniel 4, and I'm going to read 19 to 26. You'll, you'll get the essence of the dream, though I'm just reading the interpretation. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream be, uh, or the interpretation alarm you, because the king can see Daniel's freaking out. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. Can you feel the love of Daniel for the king? He's, he's not just paving a way to keep his, his job and his life. I think he's literally feeling. Daniel's 50 or 55 years old at this point. He's served this king for 20, 30, 40 years. There's compassion. And he says, may this dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. And then he interprets, the tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven... And it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose, in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. This tree, it's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. See, and at this point in the interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar said, this sounds good. I like the where this is headed. Verse 23, and because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, he saw in his dream like an angel, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him, that is the king, be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree, interesting, exact same word. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord and King, that you shall be driven from among them. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. He's speaking literally. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Daniel is put in this spot where he's got to interpret the word of the Lord to the king. I mean, how many really want that position where you're called in to your boss and you have to tell him, boss, it looks bad for you and for the whole company. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I love that. <laughs> you're the ones who probably need to be quiet more. God will help you discern that, honestly. This is life-threatening. And so Daniel is, is troubled by the dream. He's troubled when he hears it. The Aramaic word for troubled, it means stupefied. It, I mean, the picture is he's sitting there like, what do I do? And that's why the king says, hey, don't let this bother you. It's cool. I just want to know what it means. And he's realizing it means your doom. Daniel felt compassion because he knew what it meant. And Daniel releases the truth to the king with boldness. 
He starts with genuine care and concern. Verse 19, he says, like, hey, I really wish this wasn't for you. I wish that this was for someone else. And then he gives the facts, what it really means for Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what this means. You're the tree and God's going to chop you down. And you're going to be like a stump. You're going to be out. In the, you're going to be crazy for seven years. And, and, and you're going to be like a stump until, until what? Until you realize that there is a king in heaven greater than you. And until you realize that heaven gives to man what heaven wills, not what you will. In other words, when you humble yourself, God will exalt you again. Wow, that's a hard word to give to the boss. When the boss is known for killing any enemy. And he doesn't stop there. Like Daniel could stop there. He could say, there's the dream. Did my job. I'm finished. Verse 27. He goes further. Let me read Daniel 4:27. He's just given the interpretation. Then he says, therefore. He didn't have to say this part. I just want you to know, king. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. That's humility. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. That's boldness. He's telling the king, repent. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. In the midst of this dicey situation, he interprets the dream. And he could have stopped right there. But he stands up with courage and humility And he says, King, there's just one more thing. If you want to get out of this, repent. Repent. And he doesn't even stop at just that, you know, because there might be some context for Nebuchadnezzar to understand repentance. He's had an encounter with God. But he goes a step further. He says, and here's what repentance looks like for you, O king. Practice righteousness. In other words, kindly, get with the program. I mean, you know the law. You know what's right. Your conscience bears witness. Now do it. And not just acting righteously, but he says, show your mercy to the poor. I mean, the the kingdom was built all to give glory to Nebuchadnezzar. And the poor were being being trampled over. And he says, repent, do righteously, and by doing that, give to the poor. I mean, it's, it's real boldness. He really gives it to him. And what's interesting to me is what's absent here. I think the way they say it is conspicuous by its absence. Is we don't see the net effect of uh, Daniel's bold stand. We go from here's the dream, here's the interpretation, here's what you should do, here's the application, repent, be righteous, care for the poor, maybe God will have mercy on you. And then uh, the next thing we hear is 12 months pass, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is out in the field for seven years like a crazy man. We don't actually see, it doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar said, how dare you speak to me, you're dead. It doesn't say, and he bowed down and, and, and repented of his sins and worshiped the Lord. We have blank space. Why? Because I'm not sure that God wants us to think that we are responsible for the outcome of our bold proclamations. We, we don't get to do that. Right. When you speak up, when you speak the truth with boldness and humility for the sake of redemption, wherever you are, your family, your workplace, you know, uh, your neighborhood, your friend group, 
Your job is to speak the truth. You are not the Holy Spirit who applies the truth. And so to me, this is like, here's ultimate humility. We don't even see the result of Daniel's big kingdom confrontation. And I think it's an exhortation to us. We have got to stand up and speak the truth. We've got to do it boldly. But it's got to be in love and it's got to be with humility. And after that, we leave the results to God. That's a cliche, right? And then just be faithful and leave the results to God. It's real. How Rhetorical question. Don't out yourself here, right? But how many of you have felt like, I have the truth, and I know what this person needs to think and do, and if only they would listen to me, it'll go better for them. I'm a pastor. I know what this feels like, all right? If you would jest. We can bring the truth. We can bear witness to the truth, but we cannot apply the truth to someone else's life. I mean, Christian maturity is not something that comes as a singular happening like BAMO. I wish I could have a ministry time, like come forward, Holy Spirit come, bam, you're all mature. It doesn't work that way. Maturity, spiritual Christian maturity, comes with that long obedience Hearing the truth, submitting to the truth, walking in humility, receiving the love of God, giving the love of God out to other people, and then letting the Spirit of God do what only the Spirit of God can do, actually bring change. Remember Genesis 1? There's this void, this chaos, and then the Word of the Lord comes, and the Spirit of God is hovering. And it's the Word and the Spirit together that bring real order out of chaos. We can bring the Word to people. But we cannot impose the spirit on people. Did I go far enough down that track? Did I beat that one enough? (laughs) I think it's crucial for us in a day like today. When we either want to proclaim the truth and beat people up with it, or we want to just go into the background and say, you know what? God will do it. We've got to stand in the radical middle. Kingdom confrontation is the courage to boldly bring truth with love, in humility, for the sake of restoration or redemption. And just in the last couple of minutes, I'm not going to go through all these points, but at least give you what I see are three keys to kingdom confrontation. I'll give them out for free right here, up front. Boldness, love, and humility. The keys to kingdom confrontation, because we're all going to be called to do it. Boldness, love, and humility. Boldness, don't shrink, be bold. The, uh, Proverbs 28.1, it says the, the wicked flee when no one pursues. In other words, they're coming up with things to be afraid about and they run off. But the righteous are bold as a lion. What a great picture. The righteous are bold as a lion. Can I remind you that if Jesus is in you, you are the righteous. You got to hear that. You got to take that in. You are the righteous. We are the righteous. And as a result of what Jesus has done, not our own works, we are bold as a lion. Now, I don't know that much about lions. Sometimes they have to attack. Sometimes all they have to do is roar and stand, right? We have to discern when is it time to go hard and when is it time to just take a stand and let the authority that Jesus has given us kind of, I don't know, I'm picturing a flowing mane right now behind us like, hey, here's the truth. And we all know it. I think there's a time for that kind of boldness here in in this season of our lives in Indianapolis. 
Proverbs 27.1, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Now we're talking believer to believer. Now we're talking husband to wife and wife to husband. Now we're talking true friend to true friend. I love every word of God, but I don't like them all. And this one, I don't like that much. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Who wants to be rebuked? Like, does anyone like that? There's a few of you. It's weird. (laughs) There's one-eighth of the population that likes this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better that your trusted friend, your comrade in arms, the one who loves you, would sacrifice for you. Better than they, in front of many people, tell you the truth about you that you need to hear than to just go off and never say anything and say, but I love them. And I think what Solomon is saying is because that's not true love. If you can't speak the truth, right? And we need it. And you know what? We need to cultivate relationships where we can receive that kind of rebuke from others. Okay, you thought I was going to say cultivate relationships where we can give it. Well, first we receive rebuke. Then we can turn around and give it. The righteous are bold as a lion. Daniel was not afraid of any man. And so he spoke boldly and he gave the word of the Lord and he gave it because he didn't fear man. He feared God. Deuteronomy 13:4. I wonder, complete conjecture, was this command in Daniel's mind? Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice and cling to him. I've got to imagine that Daniel, while he's in this pickle, he knows he's got to speak the truth. He knows it's a hard word. He's thinking, all right, serve the Lord and fear him alone. I don't fear this king. I fear this king. And I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to obey every command and I'm going to cling to God. And the result was not just the, 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 the truth of his word, but eventually, seven years later, the redemption of Nebuchadnezzar and the restoration of the kingdom. That's the fruit of boldness. Second, love. Daniel did have as redemption his goal for this confrontation. Daniel gives the hard word and gives the interpretation and says, repent and be, do righteousness and give, be merciful to the poor. He says it because maybe God will spare you. I mean, that is not trying to save his own skin. That's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, I've grown to love you. And I want your redemption. And I want your restoration. So we bring the truth with boldness, but it's got to be in love. Ephesians four thirteen to 16. Paul's writing about how the body is supposed to function. And he's just talked about, you know, this, the great gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they're, they're, they're given to equip the body for the work of ministry. And later he's going to talk about the grand maturity of the church. But right in the middle, he says this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Paul imagines that the the harshness of the truth will come with the tenderness of the love of Jesus, and that will create maturity. And it's not different today. We cannot live 
by truth alone. We need truth and love together. If all we give to people is the truth, it can bring pain. It often can do damage. It's like a sword, right? If all we do is bring truth without love. But if all we ever do is care for people, saying we're loving them, but we never bring truth, it's not true love. And we've got to, I mean, I hate, I hate tension. I hate awkward. But we've got to live in the radical middle of bringing the truth in love. It's just what Jesus did, right? I mean, he speaks these outlandish things and he demonstrates compassion and love over and over again. And no wonder the disciples and the people who are watching Jesus think, who is this guy? One minute he's healing the sick and weeping over the city and the next minute he's turning over tables. Because Jesus walked with the truth and the love of God and he gave him out in equal measure. Because maturity is not a singular, singular spiritual happening. It's a collaborative process where the truth in Jesus, the love of the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit grows us into be those loving limbs of the body. So boldness, love, and finally humility. Daniel really takes his time before he gives this hard word to the king. He recognizes that this could mean his life. But he also knows that in giving this bold word with love, in humility, he's cooperating with God. So when we're able to stand in the midst of a difficult situation at home, neighbors, spouses, with our parents or family, who agrees that it is sometimes the hardest place to speak the truth in love, with humility, than with your family. You're like, but I just, if you would just, right? If only you would just. But Daniel recognizes, and we can recognize, that when we stand in that place, truth, love, humility, and speak it out, we're cooperating with the Spirit of God. Because God wants to bring restoration. God is always after redemption. He's not after our glory. We won the day. He's after his glory. He makes all things right. So Galatians 6, 1, Paul writing to the Galatians. Here's how you deal with people, you know, not just people confused, but people who sin. Daniel 6, or Galatians 6, 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So this is, again, we're, we've, we've gone from the, you know, out there in the culture to this culture here. This is when we see one another fall. When the one that you love has hurt you again. When the one that you believed in has disappointed you. When the person that you had held up has now fallen down. This is when we who are godly get to come and gently and humbly Remember, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And then we get to gently help them find their way to the next path, to the right path. And it says, and just be careful, because you've got to recognize that you yourself are susceptible. One of the first verses I ever memorized as a college student was 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God's faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape 
so you might endure it. Hey, I'm a college student. There's a lot of temptation out there, right? And I just memorizing that over and over again. Well, and all, all of a sudden I begin to see some victory in my life, some places where, all right, I'm beginning to live righteously. And then God reminded me of the verse that comes before 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And for some reason I, I memorized this one in the rigid King James. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride goes before the fall, you know, because God has given you victory in some place and you can gently help another person come along and see truth. But you are not the Holy Spirit who will never fall off again. And just we've got to go with humility. You know, we don't want to walk in fear, but we want to walk in tenderness and, 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 and recognize that as one person has fallen, we're susceptible to. But the same Jesus who came the first time will come again, and he who is faithful will do it. But our call is obedience, boldness, love, and humility. Let's pray. Uh, there are ministry team members. Come on forward. Just open yourself to what God might be doing in you as I pray. Holy Spirit, we're thankful for your presence here. We're thankful for your goodness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you communicate the love of the Father, the truth of the Son, and that you are able to keep us blameless until that day. So, Lord, we ask, inspire us by the Holy Spirit. Show us, Lord, where do we need to listen to you? Where are you calling us to boldness? Where are you uh, commanding us to love? Where are you convicting us about humility? Because God, we want to let the light shine out from us. We want the world to know about Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come and make us more like him. Let's stand up. If you want someone to to pray for you, if you've got something God's doing and just want to come forward, let someone on the ministry team pray for you and seal that if you need to confess this is a good safe place to confess where you've gone off the path do you have anything quite likely that, that that word, that picture of the slingshots for a number of people. You, you, you're you up against a, a giant and the Lord wants to confirm. He's given you everything you need. So I suggest come forward and have someone pray for you and, um, and uh, agree with you on that. Up on the screen, you'll see some resources for this whole idea of speaking the truth in love. So just ask Keith to leave those up there. Uh, there might be further reading you want. If uh, you're planning to come to the Vineyard DNA. We're going to start in about 
10 uh, minutes or so over in the community room. So there's plenty of time here to be ministered to. Jim, something else? Go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, during the worship time um, as well, as we were singing the song Yahweh, and I got thinking about how God gave that name in the Old Testament, I am, the great I am. And then he was showing me, I believe, a picture up to Jesus' humility. What I wrote down is, the great I am, Yahweh, will show his power in our humility and weakness. And what I feel this is for is, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was at his lowest, really, time of humility, right after that, as the guards and others came and said, we're here to find Jesus, and he looked at them and said, I am he. And at that moment, God's power kicked in, and they all fell to the ground. And I guess what, I'm, what I feel about this is that perhaps there's someone out here today who has is right now in the process of you are showing humility and whether it's your workplace or wherever and you don't see like God's strength there but his strength is there and he is coming alongside you and um, he I just I guess feel like if someone wants prayer for that that uh, we're here for you if you'd like someone to pray for you, please come forward or ask someone that you came with or a friend in the church to pray for you. Lord, now send us into the world with peace. We ask, Lord, that you give, uh, give us uh, single eyes and whole hearts to communicate the truth and the love of Jesus to a world in such desperate need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.